0: You go mark and off it's again it's with your mark being mark again yeah yeah so you know that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air and it's like therapy you know if i can't talk to my family about this stuff i'll talk to you matt and all our listeners you podcast. yeah so who are we talking about today matt almost 200 years, a small outfit of elite, well-connected young adults are selected 15 at a time to hold the reins of global power. Guns, oil, drugs, and secrecy have made this enclave infamous, deadly, and uncomfortably powerful. From Taft to the bushes, presidents, generals, CEOs, and bankers have one thing in common. Their knighthood in the order of of Skull and Bones, and possibly no man has written more about this group than today's guest, Chris Milligan, publisher and founder of Trinday. He's an author, longtime researcher, who joins me, Mystic Mark, here on the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast to discuss Skull and Bones. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this episode with Chris Milligan.
1: I mean, it goes back to uh, John Cabot too, you know, who who both supposedly um, discovered America on June 24th, I think it is, which is the day of St. John and and all of this. And and St. John, both of the evangelical and, and the, the others, this John, the Baptist also are incorporated with the mythology and the state of Connecticut of skull and bones. And then again, like I say, I firmly believe that because, you know, they, they, they will state that there's underground passages between the tomb and Weir Hall. Another thing about Skull and Bones that I found by looking at them is that they don't just take all the evil people, okay, because they want people that are going to be helpful and, and you know, and they know because you've, you've been on the campus for three years, okay, so they 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 have a pretty good idea of what they're going to get it's just so interesting how they get away and they you know they continue to deny that they have geronimo's skull okay they've even denied the story that that prescott took it even though there's quite a bit of written information that that, that talks directly about it and then you know there's there's talk that they have Pancho Villa's skull there too And then, you know, from from some of the break-ins, we know they, they, they had a room that was, you know, a Nazi room.
0: I remember from the first time we talked, you mentioned your father being a big influence on you. And I should ask you, did he tell you explicitly about skull and bones or was it your own research that brought this group to your attention?
1: No, he just mentioned secret societies. I was it was the day before my 20th birthday. Okay, so I was 19 and he took me in this room with this professor from Vanderbilt and started Talking to me, and you know, I mean, he said the Vietnam War is about drugs, there's these secret societies, and then he says, and communism's all a sham, these same secret societies are behind it, it's all a big game. And you know, as soon as he said that, the second part, you know, he really lost me. I mean, I, I, it didn't make any sense. I mean, I'd been stuffed under the desk because the the Ruskies were going to bomb us and stuff, so it just. It didn't compute, and then they went into. They they started telling me all about my dad's intelligence career, which had never been mentioned, and so that was you know information you know, and I was, I was getting overloaded with information, and then they started talking about the Vietnam War, and they tell me that they are playing out a loose scenario in Vietnam, which again completely blows my mind, but just doesn't compute. And, and then they start talking about propaganda and sway pieces, and it became very apparent that I had no idea what they were talking about, you know, so, you know, at this point in time, I was, I had started a record store, I was putting on Grateful Dead dances, I was having a good time, so I just kind of said, okay, my daddy told me some stuff, and you know, it just—it was like I say—it was information overload. You know, so it had to cogitate in my in my head for a little while, and and finally one day I was reading a, a girly magazine. I think it was Gallery, and there was a story in there about the Kennedy assassination, and they, you know, they were saying, well, you know, some people say it's a mob, some people say it's CIA. And then there was like a little throwaway line. And, and some people talk about the involvement of secret societies. And that really brought back the conversation that I had with my dad. And and I started saying, well, gosh, wh- wh- what was all this stuff that my dad told me? And so I had already in college and well, before I had started to do a independent study about magic and mysticism. And then I says, well, I'm going to. You know look into this and I, I went to every bookstore I could find and I, I talked to a friend of mine and told him oh some of the stuff that my little bitty research had done by then and and what my daddy said. he looked at me and told me I was a conspiracy theorist. So I went and, and this is what's the this was like in the early 70s. And so I said, you know what's a conspiracy theorist? And then I started to, to get books. I, I like books. And so I I went and found books, and I could find books, you know, about the drug, because mostly I was looking at the drugs in the Vietnam War, and then I was looking at intelligence. And the hardest thing for me to find was stuff about secret societies. And then in 1988, George H.W. Bush was running for president, and somehow I heard about Anthony Sutton's book, America's Secret Establishment. And so I got that and was reading that and I got it in late eight, 1988 and was reading it through 89. And it funny says, Oh, well, this kind of makes sense of what my dad said, because you know, the stuff, it, it just didn't make sense to me. And so I, I read Anthony and I says, Oh, and, but by that time, my dad was real. He was real sick. He'd been having uh, Parkinson's for many years. They'd been giving him some really heavy drugs And then he soon died, early 1990, he died from cancer. And so I never really got to talk to him about, oh, skull and bones, was that what you were talking about, Dad? And so a long answer to your question, no, he didn't mention skull and bones, he just mentioned a secret
0: society. Right, and and by the 60s and 70s, I mean, Skull and Bones had been around for more than a century, so they had probably obfuscated themselves by then to some degree, and, and their network had grown significantly, I bet. So, But it, it seems like the drug trade is not just inherent to Skull and Bones, but Yale itself. The beginning of Yale University was funded by the... British East India Company with Elihu Yale out of Fort Madras, India. And his brother was was in the drug trade. And there was another gentleman, Huntington Russell, right? One of the founder of Skull and Bones. His cousin was a very prominent opium dealer. So these pirates have been a part of the Ivy League smuggling drugs since the beginning. It's astounding. But your father, he was, I imagine, getting to... The more important message, you know, maybe that was just a detail to him. What was more important was to get the message across that, hey, don't succumb to these drugs that they're trying to poison your generation with, right? I mean, that that seemed to right. be his but, warning.
1: Yeah, that's what I, I mean. Because I, you know, what? Why did why did Dad talk to me then? Why, you know? And I figured, you know, it was because I was growing my hair long and smoking a little pot, you know. Because one time, I, before we had this talk, I had come home from school. And remember, he was in the driveway, and I pulled up and got out of the car. And and he, he looked at me, and he says, you know, they're out to opiate your whole generation. And I was kind of taken aback, you know. I'd never heard the word opiate before, but I knew what it meant. Okay. And I told him, I says, well, Dad, you know, I, I, I don't even see that stuff. I don't look for it. I just smoke a little pot. And he came back and he says, well, I don't care. You're still making money for them. And the way he spit out them, I knew he didn't like it. And, you know, I mean, you know, my my dad, he had left the agency, you know, soft in 57 when, you know, I was like eight years old. Okay. And then he, he left them hard, he said, in 59, and he moved us all the way from Tennessee out, way out to Oregon. And so it was, you know... It, it was something that had never really been talked about in the, in, in the house, you know? And so it was just very, very strange. And so, yeah, I, I feel that one of the reasons that he talked to me was because he didn't want me to come to that. And, you know, he was, he was worried about me, but we had an interesting relationship because, you know, at some points in time, oh, the, the family would be gone and I'd be the only one there with, with dad. So I, I spent a lot of uh, time with him alone growing up and so we we had a we had a good relationship, but yeah it was it, you know i mean it's it's gotten me into trouble you know because you know you you start looking into this stuff and, and you start reading these books that you know you, you have official history and then you have a bunch of books over here that well we aren't supposed to look at those and and most people just dismiss them out of hand. Okay, and so, you know, I, I started looking, at, and the other thing I found out, it was, you know, a lot of this corruption has been talked about in books, you know, before, okay, but they just, uh, they get forgotten about, because, you know, the control that these people garnered, okay, through their secrecy, okay, was was, was just immense. When, when you look at the positions that the people of Skull and Bones held, and and, and how they were able to, well, you know, they, they took us to war in the Spanish-American War, okay? And and that was about drugs, too, because, see, after the Second Opium War, opium became legal, okay? And you, you didn't have to, you could just say, hey, India, send us a boatload, you know, and we'll, we'll pay the taxes and duty. But they engineered the Spanish-American War so that a gentleman from Skull and Bones, William Howard Taft, son of one of the founders, made opium illegal for the first time in modern Asia, and then started the Sh- Shanghai and, and the Hague Conventions, which gave us the prohibitions that we had. And it, there's a very good book by a Professor Carl Trocki, Australian guy, called Opium in the Political Economy, and he shows how if you have people bringing in opium, against the law opium, they, they make so much money that that money then corrupts the the whole society and, and, you know, allows them to take over the government, allows them to do all kinds of things. I mean, if you had, you know, two sugar companies and you don't, you just have one, but if you had two sugar companies and one sugar company was bringing in cocaine and the other one wasn't, you know, who's going to last? And, you know, and and to get back to your your point about New Haven, I, I found New Haven to be very, very interesting okay about the group that came there to new haven they were hyper calvinist i mean both both yale and harvard okay were started as schools for you know the clergy for a calvinist clergy
0: yeah absolutely the, the the clergy then was as you say hyper calvinist which meant a couple really interesting things that have actually made their way into modern christianity this idea that is used the confusing term millenarianism, right? Where people believe in the end of the age is coming. The millennium usually is you know marked as the, the the time when the end of the age is gonna come. But this idea of being in the last times, the the final days was was a very present in the minds of the Puritans, the settlers, right? Because Not only were they faced with this new wilderness with whole groups of people speaking different languages and with bows and arrows and all sorts of weapons, they they were in a sort of exile religiously too because back home the Anglican Church and the Catholic Church had given them so much grief that they said, you know, we're going to go and do things our own way and be free. Really, they were just as oppressed as anywhere else at the time. You know, the, the church leaders who came there for freedom, they oppressed their people, uh, you know, in the same way that they felt oppressed in the past. But, yeah, very interesting lot, the Calvinists, the hyper-Calvinists.
1: Right, right. No, they, they thought that, you know, that all humans are inherently wicked and offend God. That there's an elect that God chose to be saved regardless of their actions and how deserving. That Jesus died just for those special elect, not for everyone, and that once God has chosen an elect, they are saved by irres- irresistible grace, no matter what. And those or saints cannot fall from grace once saved. You know, and and one reason they they came there is because you know they thought that you know the world was going to end. And they were going to be in the New World, and they were going to be one of the 144,000, you know, who, who were saved and, and, and all of that. And then it's part of my posit, okay, that this hyper-Calvinism, and then you had the Enlightenment come in in the early 1800s, okay? And you take this hyper-Calvinism, and then this, you know, the, the Enlightenment brought in Western magic, ritual magic and stuff, which is very dualistic. And, and stuff and, and you know one thing that the hyper Calvinists also believed was was a thing called reprobation, okay, which which means that a God purposely for fordains damnation, okay, so that there's basically hell's angels
0: right okay. right people who are ordained to sin in order to like provoke God's will they can go out and do evil things because they've been you know chosen by God to do these devilish deeds
1: right and then you've got you know the Baba you know we're we're poor little sheep that have been led astray mm. Ba 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 you know so so they have this
0: right elitism
1: okay. yeah which is which is I'm, I'm concerned. Is it's nuts? Okay, and you know it's one thing. You know, Anthony. You know, when he first started looking into it, he started writing about it. And George H. W. Bush wrote a letter. Says, I I don't know anything about any sordid of secret societies. I'm not. You know, and and you know, it's very funny that I mean, 1968 was George H. W. Bush, and he was in Skull and Bones, and that was the last year that the annual at, at Yale you know, they used to list all the secret societies and the members who got tapped. That's the last year that there was an official announcement of who's been in it. And you have a a thing in secret societies where, you know, they, they call it going dark. Okay. Because, you know, at some points in time who got tapped was, you know, put in the New York times and, and stuff like that. And so you know, it was very interesting, you know, I, I went to Yale, and was just amazed at all the architecture there, and the, and the, and the big buildings, and, and whatnot, and, you know, and I love the library there, I mean, they've got books just on the shelf that are just amazing, and, you know, you get way back into the stacks, and they got more amazing stuff, and then went to the rare manuscript part, and said, okay, I want stuff from Skull and Bones, and you give me a little piddling stuff, and then you ask for the Russell Trust Association, and you get you get more stuff. And it's just, I mean, we really have no idea. We we have a, a fairly good idea up to about oh a little bit through the 70s of who were who the members are. Okay, we don't even know who all the members are. And then in ninety-two they started doing women. Now the the best lists that we can get and, and some of them they say themselves they don't know for sure are from rumpus which is a Yale College tabloid mm. type thing mm. so now now living in, in New Haven you know what
0: what do the locals talk about skull and bones you know what do they have to say it's a great question. Well, you know, I got to say I'm, I'm somewhat of a homebody, but the times that I am out in New Haven and when I worked in New Haven, I definitely picked up a lot of little anecdotes here and there. One, one thing that's sort of, I don't know, more common is people will talk about George W. Bush and his time as a student at Yale and where he liked to hang out. And one of the bars that's in town, it goes by a different name, Used to be called Rudy's they, they've since moved locations but the original Rudy's was where George W. Bush liked to go and party and and do cocaine. so I heard a, a couple of little stories at that bar when I was hanging out at that bar but no, nothing really too astounding. They seem to have people under a, a a sort of tight-knit atmosphere of cult like the culture is managed to prevent people from really talking about that because one thing that's fascinating is the people who join those secret societies are only a part of it for their senior year so by the time they've participated in anything worth mentioning to anyone they're about to leave and the the people that they network with are you know in that same secret group and have the same oath and that i found that tabloid you're talking about rumpus and it's it's interesting to see how they've proliferated the secret society network into like 40 different secret societies and it seems like you know 20 of them are just kids clubs i mean really just like students doing you know nothing important but maybe that's just to protect the the top 10 from being you know taken out cuz it seems like that time period in the 60s and 70s I found this book written by David Allen Richards and he makes the point that in the 60s and 70s the secret society networks at Yale were were, were shook up by the cultural changes that were going on and a lot of the old boys clubs realized okay we can't exist this way anymore as a male white male only group so let's integrate let's bring some people in and Since then, you know, as a a resident of New Haven, you notice specifically between the years 2010 and 2015, thousands every year, Chinese people on vacation, you know, and you could tell they're not from America because they're all in a group and they're all speaking Chinese and they have someone who speaks English showing them around. So it was interesting to see the international shift where they took maybe families that were only from a certain wasp persuasion in the east coast establishment and then they open things up a little bit so now they're taking maybe a special person from a royal family in India who gets his way into Yale or a person from a royal family in you know Sri Lanka or wherever so they they are sort of expanding but it's still it's it's you have to be above a certain you know, cultural right. societal status to even be a part of a group like that. They, they just have taken a little bit of the diversity and and embraced it, I guess. Right,
1: right, right. Well, 92 they you know, they started to let women in and and you know, the old guard basically locked them out of the group, out of the tomb, and then manuscript another secret society there says, "Oh guys, you guys can use our our facility." And then they had a they forced another vote and they the women in. But I mean that basically, you know, because, you know, at first Yale was was all male. And then, you know, in the in the I think in the late fifties they started to allow, you know, a few women students and whatnot. And then it finally went a co-ed. And then you had the problem because uh, these guys at skull and bones, their girlfriends would say, Hey, come on, sneak me in there, sneak me in there. And and a bunch of that happened and, and they re- reported about it and then you're absolutely correct in that they started opening it up to more international members okay in 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 the 70s you can start seeing the, the sprinkling of a, of a few international people and and then it was very interesting I had a japanese television company contacted me one day and said would i show them around yale would i you know show them the the tomb and, and stuff like that so I said yes, and so, you know, we went to New York and then met these guys, and we got in a white van and drove up to Haven, and, you know, and this was a full thing. They had a, a producer and his and his girlfriend and director and talent and camera people and audio people and all this stuff, and, you know, we went there, and we happened to get a—there uh, was, there was snow on the ground, if I remember right, and we, we happened to get a parking space for this van just right across from the from the tomb, okay? Okay. And so they were setting up there. They put a, they wanted to get a picture of, you know, somebody coming out of the tomb and stuff like that. And then we went and, oh, went one block, just, just, right, there's a quad just right in, right next to High Street there. And, and we went into the, the quad and they wanted to interview people. And so they stopped a bunch of people and would ask them if they knew where the tomb was. And we were like, you know, less than a half a block away from it and all of them claimed they didn't know where it was. Okay. Which, you know, I, I found very, very interesting because I mean, the tomb's hard to miss, you know, <laughs> and, and, and they, they, they didn't, they, you know, and so, so it was, it showed to me that they obviously still had enough hold over the campus that people, you know, were going to lie. About, about it. And, you know, and then when you look at like book and snake, okay. And, 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 you know, you have skull and bones S and B and book and snake B and S. Okay. I mean, and there's a real, you know, do any study about magic. There's a thing about, you know, reversal things and, and all this type of stuff. And you have book and snake was basically started at, at Sheffield scientific school. Okay. Before it was a part of Yale. Okay, so it was they were separate clubs. Okay, one was at Sheffield, one was at at Yale. Okay, and then but if you look at the pictures of the, you know, the book and snake people there around standing around a skull too. And I, I mean, their clubhouse is just, you know, it's at the other end of high street there, but you know, it's this big white marble two story building with, you know, no windows and a big black door surrounded by fences with with intertwined snakes you know right across from the 16 acre boneyard you know
0: and uh, not to mention the the it's not just any boneyard, it's the oldest cemetery of its kind in America. It was the first planned cemetery, and uh, yeah, that that is one of the most fascinating parts of all this for me. I, I haven't told you yet, I give tours now, free tours, for anyone that listens to me on podcasts and lives in the area. I just did one yesterday with a gentleman who's on a, a sort of road trip, and I walked him down High Street, right? And I always point out... Harkness Tower and how it was funded by Rockefeller Standard Oil and how it, you know, memorializes these different figures from what Yale considers classical history. And then we take them past the tomb. And one thing I want to ask you about, you know, on the note of them lying and and hiding things about the tomb and it being kind of hidden, you know, it's on that one-way street. If you don't go down that one-way street, you might never pass it. You know, it's not exactly on a main road and the art museum, there's the street art museum and then there's the newer art museum and there's a sort of walkway that connects the two. And then this is perfectly, you know, positioned to block you from seeing the tomb. And I wonder if you looked into the buildings of those museums, because I found that the old dormitories where the skull and bones guys used to sleep was located on that same block where the new art museum is built. So they own that whole area and and possibly made the decision to create the art museum in that way to hide the tomb from anyone on that main street there.
1: Right, right. Well, Miller George Douglas Miller bought the hole there, okay, mm. and and developed that, and then moved Weir Hall over there, and and then he became kind. Of, I mean, and he was the guy who gave him Deer Island too. He owned Deer Island. He gave him Deer Island. Wow. And he was a a strange guy. He he's from the Albany, and there's a he. He he built this one hotel. He wanted to have it taller than the other one, so I mean, he built this part of it that didn't even have any use. Just, just, just went up. But he became sort of a person non grata for a skull and bones, and I I don't know exactly why. I was contacted by his his family, and I actually have his oil portrait that I that I bought from the family and some of the stuff about Deer Island. And so it's yeah. they got to the point there at Skull and Bones where they'd had the presidency for a bunch of years and they'd had the treasure for a bunch of years. And they basically just, you know, use the power of Yale to to obfuscate and to, you know, quote unquote, control things. And, it, it, you know, it, it's very interesting when you look at it, because there was times like in the late 1800s where the whole school I mean, the the freshman, the sophomore class signed things that we're never going to join senior societies. They're, you know, they're no good and blah, 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 blah. But by the time they get to their their junior, senior year, they, you know, they become... And, you know, another thing about skull and bones that I found by looking at them is that they don't just take all the evil people, okay? Because they want people that are going to be helpful. and, And, you know, and they know because... You've, you've been on the campus for three years okay so they 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 have a pretty good idea of what they're going to get okay and 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 you know there's been a few people you know that have been tapped that have you know kind of dropped out of the the quote unquote system rather fast but but most people have have held tight to to it
0: mm-hmm. yeah it seems like they have you know the culture controlled and managed in a way that prevents those kind of student uprisings because that was one of the reasons why they doubled the size of the tomb i don't remember exactly what year but the order of file and claw broke into the original tomb and now when you look at the tomb you see it has sort of a triptych design with the door in the center originally it was just one one of those, you know, one section with one door, and they doubled it to to create this sort of well, it looks like it looks like the temple at Karnak's entrance with this with this triptych door design. I don't know if they were cognizant of that because the the Egyptian expedition that Napoleon did happened around that same time period. So they were seeing images of the ancient temples, and that was a part of. Henry Austin who designed that Egyptian gate at the Grove Street Cemetery he he modeled it after the temple at, at Ashmoon El Ashmoon in the the Hermopolis which is so fascinating because this guy what's his name Yehudi Ashmoon is buried right at the doorstep of the grave, of the of the cemetery right. I mean th- this is this is all you know to me it seems like there's some sort of sympathetic magic going on and yeah, obviously you've substantiated that theory and, and sort of brought it into to a fuller picture, but that road that Skull and Bones' tomb is situated on, Book and Snake's tomb is situated on, it leads straight into the Grove Street Cemetery. It seems to me, and I have a, a, a slide I'd like to share with you, that it it follows in the tradition of English corpse roads, where they would... Direct a road from a church to the cemetery, and people over time would see spirits traveling on this road. But, you know, as you can see, this sort of campus map that I found, this red square here, that's the green where the original people were buried, is 6,000 bodies are still buried behind those churches. It's right there next to the old campus quadrangle or quad. Uh, right on this road. And even this library here used to be a church, the the building Mm -hmm. across from Limbones' tomb. So yeah, it's interesting. They, They have all of these very important buildings situated on this road, the Memorial Library, the Law School, the Beinecke Book Manuscript Library, which itself has some strange qualities to it. Let me pull up another slide. Here's the Yeah, it was the the Seti shrine that the Skull and Bones tomb kind of mirrors there with the triptych door. But the Beinecke Rare Book and Manuscript Library, it kind of reminds me of, well, this type of ancient stone structure that we have in New England here, where you have one big boulder on top of three or four smaller boulders. You see that with this design of the building where you have this massive square of granite held up by these small little pillars here on either side, but yeah, a lot of fascinating things in this Beinecke. Here's the here's a better image down at the bottom there of of how the the building looks like it's sort of balanced on four different beams there. But they have a copy of the Voynich manuscript. They have a copy of the the Book of the Dead of all things, the Egyptian Book of the Dead. So you have to wonder what's really going on with this road and why these things are situated. Not to mention Asama Naguchi who created a, a Stargate portal in Detroit. My friend Chad Stempke has done a lot of research on that. Asama Naguchi built this sort of sculpture garden right there next to the book library, the rare manuscript library. So it seems like something's
1: Yeah, there's a big underground part of that library, too. And then, you know, part of my posit is about the underground around at Yale. And I believe that they use part of that underground as a ritual initiation for their members. And then, you know, you can look at it from a, you know, quote-unquote magical point of view. And, And basically, they are performing a death magic. Okay, they believe that, you know, by killing people, by doing things, you create power. Okay. And you know, I mean the, the the skull and bones tomb that's in that the new burying ground. Okay, I mean if, if you look at it and the Ashman the 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 gate and the skull and bones temple all appear to be built out of the same type of stone. Okay. And and a lot and, and it's really, it's the only tomb inside the burial ground that's built out of that tomb, that, that type of stone. And then it also has the circle with the wings, right. okay, on, on the tomb and also on the gate, you know. And, and what does the gate say? The dead shall be raised, right. you know. Look, <laughs> right. Yeah, and, you know, it was started by 32 families, okay. And and it, it, interesting thing, too, is that, you know, Skull and Bones were the people who started the oil business, okay? I mean, <laughs> the guy, you know, Drake, the, the guy who did the first oil well in, in Pennsylvania, mm. okay? He was a, a conductor on the New York-New Haven Railroad. And he put met some people there at the Tontine Motel Hotel there in New Haven, and they put together a, a deal because... It was a guy from Skull and Bones, Dr. Benjamin Silliman Jr., okay, who made gasoline and paraffin for the first time out of petroleum, rock oil, okay? And he wrote a little note, and he said, gee, gentlemen, I think you have some very valuable products with a very inexpensive process. And as soon as he wrote that report, the Pennsylvania Rock Oil Company of New York that was owned by the Bissells and the Townsends was soon sold to investors in New Haven, Connecticut, 33 families. And and then the Bissells and the Townsend soon had their very sons in the Order of Skull and Bones. And then, you know, all the uh, secret societies that I can get a list of the members, there's at least one Rockefeller in each of the uh, membership lists, you know. And Harkness was uh, Rockefeller's, uh, one of his first big partners. And, you know, the, the Paines too. And so, I mean... The Rockefeller money basically built all those big buildings there, like you said earlier.
0: Well, and, and to your point about them all being made from the same stone, that's Portland brownstone you're talking about. And I have a friend who's a, a mason, just a mason, not a Freemason, a stonemason. And he talks about how they're all quarried from Portland, Connecticut, which I've done some research into the Native American history because I think this is all. Very important to this. East Rock and West Rock in New Haven, the natives who lived in Connecticut thought that those mountain chains were actually the bodies of ancient giants that would be like sort of heroes in their myths, sort of fill the role of different uh, you know, mythological beings. And they found this Portland brownstone in the same spot where Hobomok the ancient god stamped his foot down and rerouted the connecticut river and you know if you think about it that the connecticut river would have initially its course would have went straight into new haven which is why new haven has such a deep harbor i mean this is all Sort of on a long time scale. I'm not saying this happened like right before the settlers got there, but yeah, it's interesting to look into the geology and find out that Connecticut, the Connecticut River, has all of this lore of giants around it. And so the stone that they're using is literally, you know, the byproduct of a giant. In another case, in in Guilford, there is a quarry there where some of the white pink granite has gone to be a part of the base of the Statue of Liberty, the Washington Monument, and other very important buildings in, you know, the National Complex. And that stone is also said to be granite from the body of a giant. I mean, give that what you will, but you're talking about death magic and Mithra, the Mithra cult. They believe in, you know, Mithra, this man who was born from a stone giant. So it, it does have this sort of weird, esoteric parallel. You know, you start to see these yeah. things add up over and over again.
1: Right, right. Well, you know, the these hyper-Calvinists who, who came to New Haven, who settled in New Haven, they didn't have a charter, okay, from mm. the king. Okay, they, they went there and, and supposedly bought the land from the Indians, but the Indians didn't think that they, you know, really had owned it to be able to sell. Okay, and that, you know, caused problems later on. And they, you know, they came as a religious colony. They had a, a prophet and a judge and your 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 seven pillars of the community and all of that. And you know, they were sitting around waiting for the world to end, but it didn't, so that caused them some
0: problems. Right. And and what is this about Saint John? Because you know, his tomb in the Grove Street Cemetery seems to be made from that same material and also has that uh, that winged disc on it, right? It's the only right. grave sepulchre in the whole cemetery with that same design. And when I looked into this gentleman, I mean, I was able to find a will that he left behind. It proves that he was a very wealthy man but I wasn't able to find much about who he actually was. A friend, Michael A. Hoffman, actually sent me some info that he dug up about him after I posed this question to him. But yeah, it, it, it seems like he was somebody who was involved esoterically in the community, especially with a name like St. John. You know, Maybe he fills in a sort of metaphysical role being buried there next to the Sheffields.
1: Well, you know, I mean, it goes back to uh, John Cabot, too, you know, who, who boasts, supposedly um, discovered America on June 24th, I think it is, which is the day of St. John and, and all of this. And, and you know, St. John, both the evangelical and and the, the others, John the Baptist, also are incorporated with the mythology and, you know, of, of the state of Connecticut, of Skull and Bones. And then again, like I say, I firmly believe that because, you know, they, they will state that there's underground passages between the tomb and Weir Hall, okay? They'll, they'll, they'll state that. and But I think that there's the ability through, you know, the steam tunnels, okay?, to have you know, you give your initiate, you know, maybe you give him some some drugs, maybe not, you know. But then you have a ceremony, and he goes into the dark, and then he becomes reborn, you know. And he, you know, he could come out of that Saint John's tomb, you know, because I mean, it's very, you know. It, so that's what I've seen there. It's a it's a ritual. It, 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 it's it's a initiation type of ritual and that secret societies have used for a long time.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: You, you, you you're in the dark, you, you you have to stumble maybe through some passages and whatnot, and then some words are said and you come out into the light and you know you're you're reborn. So
0: Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's interesting they have that power station too centered right next to the cemetery and yeah, all of New Haven has an underground component to it. I remember being within the School of Management doing a delivery and getting lost, looking at my phone GPS and looking and seeing that I was underneath the street somehow. The the, the street was above my head, and I'm like, "Well, I'm not in the building anymore. Where am I?" You know, and I had to go back the way I came through this tunnel to get back to my van, but. Yeah, I I realized that, and my friend Amos, when he moved to New Haven, he was homeless for some time. Now he has a home and a job, and he settled in. You know, every day at noon he would go to High Street in front of the tomb, and he would scream Geronimo's name from the top of his lungs to the bottom of his gut. You know, and this what he told me was a sun prayer, a warrior's prayer for his ancestor who had been wronged. You know. And be that as it may, you know, Amos told me a lot of powerful things. He also told me some things that I haven't been able to corroborate. And maybe telling you this might ring some bells. He said that people get kidnapped uh, using these grates that open, you know, like drop doors. So homeless people might be walking and fall into one of those tunnels and then be used for some purpose. He also said that the underground tunnels lead to the building that, I don't know exactly which company resides in it, but it's the building with the sort of pyramidal rooftop where it has three pyramids, sort of looking like, almost like the pyramid complex at Teotihuacan, that sort of one big one in the center and two smaller ones next to it, right? It's either there or at Giza, I'm thinking of, but he said that A heart is taken into that building, that upper level, dissected into parts, and then the the bonesmen take a piece of the heart and eat it while the sun's rising every year, you know, the graduating class or whatever, on 322 of all days. (laughs) This is maybe one of the darker things I've heard about skull and bones, but, you know, you asked about rumors and anecdotes. That's that's one I've heard.
1: Well, that's you know it, it's hard to imagine that people would do that. You know, but you know, a very interesting you know in in getting together, fleshing out skull and bones. You know, I met quite a few interesting people, and one of them being a Charlotte Isabet, who her her dad and her grandfather were both members of, of the Order of Skull and Bones, and they were mining engineers because it's, you know, and I, it's interesting, I found that there was a lot of mining engineers and, and a lot of mining people in, in Skull and Bones, and they have a real a preponderance for that. But one thing that she talked about was that, you know, her, her dad would, you know, spout very right-wing things and then also spout very left-wing things. Okay, and this cognitive dissidence that he was kind of caught in. So, you know, again, what I find with Skull and Bones is that, you know, they use people and and for control. And, you know, if, if, if you could take 15 people and calculate them and get them to eat a human heart, what what other nefarious things could you do? But you know, I I don't know. I've never heard that. You know, uh, if that, I've never heard that story before. But uh, yeah, not it's interesting.
0: Yeah, not something I share with many people because it is dark and and again unsubstantiated. Just something my friend Amos who. Who well, I do trust with a lot of the things he's told me, but one thing that he he, he has said is there's a connection possibly to Benjamin Franklin and Skull and Bones, and and when I looked into you know obviously Skull and Bones came about much later than than Benjamin Franklin, right? I mean, not that much later, but I don't think he was alive when Skull and Bones was. Formed. But he did have an honorary degree from Yale and was friends with Ezra Stiles, who was president, the seventh president of Yale University. And these guys were, for the most part, members of the order of Cincinnati or the C- the Society of Cincinnati. Have you looked much into that group and their possible connections to skull and bones? Because they seem to have a, a connection to mounds and, and digging up mounds.
1: Not, not really. One thing that I have looked into, is, you know, the skull and bones, they do call themselves the Order. And we published a book called The Nebulae, which was a distillation from a Belgian state police report where they had some secret societies there, and they put a, a gentleman in, and, and he worked himself up towards the top. And what he found is that there was a whole bunch of different groups all calling themselves the Order. There was like a, a Catholic one, a Jewish one, a, you know, a gay one. A, you know, there's these, these different groupings, and they were, they were all called the Order. And so, you know, it's, I mean, there's, there's, there's many roads in philosophy, you know there and and there's people that pave these roads that you know they say well you know lucifer is the the light bringer and and you know and blah, blah 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 so you know i used to look at well you know there's there's many ways that you could quote unquote meet the devil okay and and meeting a a group of people who who want to use secrecy and nefarious things to Control things because you know at at the end of the day, you know it's not you know when I first was looking at this, you know people say oh they're they're just they're all just a bunch of greedy bastards they just want more money. Well, you know they've already got enough money. It's not about money. It's about control. Okay, it's about control of the future. It's about you know control of our our children's future and control of education. I mean, you know what was one of the first things that Skull and Bones did? was to take over the education system here, okay, and turn it from one that had been developed out of out of English schoolhouses and, and, you know, to one of a Prussian education system, where instead of, you know, trying to, you know, teach you, well, you know, here's things and we can think about them. You know, the Prussian education system was the first education system which they actually took the kids by bayonet point. And uh, because the princes on the hill were very mad at their people because Napoleon had kicked their butt. And so they started taking the kids and and the Prussian education system teaches you, you know, what to think, not how to think. Okay. And so, and, and so again, I'm sure that there was, you know, I I don't think skull and bones just, you know, popped up, up, up out of itself. And, you know, it's, it's, the break-ins and other things show that it was a outgrowth of a, of a German secret society. William Huntington Russell had just uh, come back from Berlin. Okay, going to school in in Berlin and and actually going to uh, school, uh, classes with Hegel. Hegel was still in chair, and it's and and generally what what I find when I've been looking at these uh, secret societies is that it's basically you know based in Germany in that in that area of germany belgium and stuff and whatnot and then you know it it's spread out and and you know went to you know great lengths to 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 capture the drug trade to give it this big pile of money which then really allowed it to you know spread its wings and then at the same time that, you know, this secret society was making its money on drugs coming from China, okay, they, they were also making some people in China very wealthy, too, okay? And do you think there's any secret societies in the Orient, you know? <laughs> and so, you know, that's what, you know, I've seen, and then one of my most recent, well, not most recent, but positive I've been doing for about 20 years is that one thing that they were trying to do was to quote-unquote rule the world through China, okay? Because, you know, when, when Nixon opened up China, he sent, first guy went in was David Bruce, and then very soon George H.W. Bush came in, and his his brother Prescott Bush, Jr., who's also a member of the Order of Skull and Bones, went to Shanghai and started passing out all the money to build all those factories, okay? Because one thing that they've learned through time is that if you try and rule from your own roost, well, then people are going to come shoot at your tree, you know? So, you know, you've got to be, you know, you got, you got to work things around so that it's coming from over here, even though, you know, so that those people take all the slings and arrows and stuff like that, but we live in very interesting times and and I I truly think that their day is about over, What you know, because well the kids who were in the 1860s, the kids who were teens and preteens, okay they didn't come together as a generation and it was because of the assassination of a president, war, and drugs, opium, basically. Okay, and these guys, we, we, it, there's a great book called Hist- Generations, A History of America's Future. Okay, and it shows how there's, there's four generations. There's an idealistic, then there's a reactive, then there's a civic, then there's an adaptive generation that, that go through history to, to propel us forward. Well, this this idealistic group from the 1860s, they didn't cohere, and because they didn't cohere, these other generations didn't have much to stand on, and so we we're like a three-cycle engine or a four-cycle engine only running on three three cycles, and so it, it makes it easier for the people out of the shadows to, to affect our body politic, and they were able to do that. Okay, like I said, the Spanish-American War and and you know the Federal Reserve the income tax, World War One, World War Two, and, and all these things were, were helped machinate by the these secret societies. Okay. And so again, the kids that were teens and preteens in the nineteen sixties, okay, they attacked that again and they didn't want us to cohere, the boomers to you know come together as a generation. We were supposed to be this pieced out, drugged out generation. Okay, but we did come together. We came together as hippies around a joint being smoked around a circle with a little bit of LSD thrown in. Okay, because you see with LSD, yeah, I can disrupt. Okay, I can, you know, get people wearing white sheets and stuff like that. Okay, but you can't control people with LSD. Okay, I mean, heroin, opium's pretty pretty simple. Here, kid, you want some? Oh, you want some more? Oh, and how about your friends? Okay? I mean, that's the basic dynamic of opium. Okay? You know, it it was very interesting growing up as a boomer because lots lots of things were 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 happening. And basically, like I say, we created this counterculture around a joint being smoked around a circle, and this counterculture was was worldwide. Okay? And because the idealistic group actually came together, okay, it has allowed this reactive, this civic, and this adaptive group to to go on. And so I I, I truly think, you know, and, and oh, the History Channel did a big thing about the hippies, and they said what came out of the hippies was the personal computer and the Internet, okay? And those are the tools that all of us together are using to fight the corruption of, you know, of people using secrecy to lie, cheat, and steal, okay, and so, because, you know, the, the personal computer allows me to be a uh, publisher, allows you to be a, you know, a podcast host, and, and the internet allows us to tell everybody about it, okay, and so, you know, I, it, it change doesn't happen as fast as everybody wants, but, you know, there is change happening, there's understandings coming together about, you know, this outside control. Now, I think that, you know, it's being, one thing I found about conspiracy theory very early on was that a conspiracy theory doesn't have to be true to have an effect. Okay. So, you know, they use a lot of conspiracy theory out there just to get people to fight each other, you know. And another thing is, is that, you know, I... I found early on that, you know, people wanted, you know, me to just, well, just call these guys all evil, okay, because, you know, then you've got this, you know, good versus evil type thing, and, you know, of course, you know, everybody doesn't want to be evil, they want to be the good guys, right, and blah, 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 but it's this you know, this dichotomy that, that just gets, you know, people fighting each other, and, and you know, it's like with the, with the COVID thing, I mean, most people... And myself included, don't know enough science to really understand all this stuff, okay? But we know just enough that somebody can give us a little bit and we can say, well, this is, and and those guys over there are bad, and blah, 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 and we got, you know, people fighting and fighting and fighting you know, about something that I don't see is going
0: to get anywhere. But
1: that's my own personal
0: Oh, you're making a great point, Chris. And I think this is something we've talked about many times on this show because it's important, it's relative, and I'm seeing some some theories being pushed around these days that actually inspired me to to take a closer look at history and, and see what the real story is. And of course we have we're always gonna have the mainstream and we're gonna have the alternative, but what seems tricky now is how the mainstream or the hidden hand is infiltrating the alternative with certain theories and yeah i definitely find you know this type of research to be really rewarding to be able to find a sense of firm ground in what you know about where you're from or where you live and. When I heard a theory like, oh, well, America's actually uh, a great... There was a great reset, and this place was Tartaria once, you know, that got me thinking okay well how could that be you know i live in new england there's 400 years of history here you're telling me there is a a reset 150 years ago and before that we were some you know brand spanking steam engine technology civilization i mean i don't know how far you've looked into that theory but it's become very popular on the internet over the past few years and it it definitely makes me a little nervous about you know the reputation that people have in this community as you said they're they're not opposed to creating conspiracy theories to get people to fight with each other and and what better way to to get people confused to tell them that their own you know history is is not what they know to be true I mean that's that's essentially what we've been saying about the mainstream now they're just flipping around on us
1: yeah 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 i, I I've been in conspiracy theory land for well over 50 years. And I've seen a lot of conspiracy theory buses go by, you know. And, I mean, I got so many people that were mad at me because I didn't just jump on QAnon, mm. okay. And I, I had to say, well, you know, don't you think that, that you're kind of being led down a road? And, you know, it's not saying that there's not pedophilia out there and blah, and blah, blah. And it's not, you know, there aren't honey traps and, and stuff like that. But, like I say, a conspiracy theory doesn't have to be true to be effective. And they, they're, they're really using them big time to, to confuse us. Okay. And again, and to get people fighting each other, because then, you know, if I believe in some conspiracy theory and you say it's not true, well, you must be one of them, you know, and, and all this type of dynamic, okay, is, is, is part and parcel of what what they've done for, I mean, if you look at American history, you know, we had our first big anti-Illuminati scare, okay, in the 1790s, okay? And, again, these things are, you know, they get blown up, and then, you know, one thing that a person can do that, if they are part of a conspiracy, they're going to turn on a dime and point their finger and say, oh, it's not me, it's them, it's them, it's them, it's them, it's them, it's them, it's them. And, you know, and and then so much so that, you know, our first political party, okay, that had the first convention of a political party was the anti-Masonic party, okay, which basically led to Skull and Bones, Okay, because she had Phi Beta Kappa, which was a secret society, and they had all this anti Masonic stuff, and so it became very, you know, gauche or whatnot to to be in a secret society. So Harvard Phi Beta Kappa, Phi Beta Kappa started at the College of William and Mary, okay, and it was 17, 1776 December fifth, seventeen seventy six, okay, and. I firmly believe that it was a, a chapter of the Illuminati. Okay, the Illuminati was started July 4, 1776. Okay, and, and you know, there are people that say, well, no, the, there's nobody could have gotten a boat and got here by then, but there's actual, you know, Masonic historians that, that, that say that. And then from the College of William and Mary, you had two shoots. One went to Harvard and one went to Yale. And then the College of William and Mary was shut down during the Revolutionary War. And the ones at Harvard and Yale went, you know, continued on, and they were a big secret society. And then because of the anti-Masonic one, the Harvard one said, okay, well, we don't be a secret society anymore. And then in 1831, the people that were, in, you know, some of the people that were voted in for Phi Beta Kappa then formed Skull and Bones in 1832. And so there, there are direct links to, and, you know, there's always been, you know, secret groupings of people that use that secrecy to band together and to, uh, you know, try and control other people. It's, right. You know, it, it's nothing new.
0: Right, right. And as you said just at the beginning of the what you just said, in 1790 somebody raised the conspiracy flag. Oh, I think it was the proof of conspiracy, John Robinson or something like that. But well, there Gen-Dia was... Genediah
1: Morris was the guy in, in the
0: United States. Right, and, and that's... Years. That's what I was about to say, because he's buried in the Grove Street Cemetery of all places. And I thought that was really curious. I don't know how long he spent in New Haven, but maybe he was aware of that faction of Phi Beta Kappa that was president Yale uh, trying to published a book called The Perfectionabilists, right? And I'm sure that gets in, in detail, like the the real history of the Illuminati, because people would be surprised to find out that there was a historical Illuminati, and it didn't end with Adam Weishaupt, and there are even guys like, well, the founder of the OTO who were trying to revive the Illuminati, and obviously Crowley came along one day and got his hands into that whole mess, and yeah, and people remember it for him rather than than Theodore Roos, the guy who created it. But yeah, it's it's certainly a lot realer than, than people have been led to believe. And I think our, our Ivy League schools, which are all sort of born out of Harvard and Yale, are possibly to, to thank for that cleansing of history, right? They've whitewashed that trail out of history so that it's a lot harder to track down.
1: Right. Well, where did Weishaupt go once uh, the Illuminati was declared illegal in Bavaria?
0: America, I bet. <laughs> no, no, he went to Saxe-Gotha. Okay. He went to Saxe-Gotha okay.
1: and he was at gotha until he I can't remember the day he died, and but but after after he died, five princes went out from Saxe-Gotha. Okay, one of them married Queen Victoria. Okay, another one went up to the Nordic companies. I think another one went to Spain. One went to Greece, and I can't remember where the other one went. But so you know, there's been a you know, why are the royals at the Bilderberg meetings? You know, what what mm. what do they have to do with with all of that? So, so so they're part and parcel of a lot of this quote unquote secret world where you know they use these connections and, and whatnot. And there's something else I can't remember, it, but I'm sure it'll come back through.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating, all of these connections and, and just walking around New Haven, you know, you, you get a sense that they were not just deciding on these architectural styles out of whim. There was a clear, you know concerted effort to sort of embody certain cultures you mentioned how you get a sense of being in france when you're in new haven because of the architecture and a lot of this esoterically goes back to france we've talked about the underground and you know what's what's under paris the catacombs right and this whole group of well french freemasons they, they were certainly a part of american history they they were you know I guess Thomas Jefferson was a French Freemason, right? So they're there, and Thomas Jefferson was was a part of that Phi Beta Kappa. At least he, I think he helped organize it, right?
1: I I don't know for sure there, but it'd be, and you know the Skull and Bones thinks that they're the you know they're the Knights Templar of of today, okay? And their their woodcut, okay, that is their symbol. It's older than Skull and Bones okay and I found it being used a lot with Knights Templar and it's still being used by a, a Knights Templar Masonic organization up in, up in Canada and you know the the Knights Templar are very interesting they were basically came out of France the champagne area of France and a lot of it has to do with you know why why do the blue bloods think they're blue hmm.
0: you
1: know Because, you know, it's a nice way of saying, well, I'm related to King David, which means that I'm related to Jesus, so, you know, it's my right to rule. You know, BS, as far as I'm concerned, okay? But, you know, where'd the Knights Templar come from? Well, their basic story is that when the Temple of Jerusalem, Second Temple, went down in 70 AD, okay, around the Temple... Okay, the temple was basically for the priest and the royal family. Okay, and then, but to, to run the temple, okay, it took a large group of people. Because let's just say, well, there's a bunch of herbs that you had to for, you know, the temple worship services. Okay, and, and those weren't just herbs that you went and, and, and gathered. They had to be ritually grown, ritually, you know, garnered and 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 ritually prepared okay and so let, let's just take like cassia okay an herb okay so to to supply the temple with the you know amount of cassia that they need okay in that time and age it took like a family okay to do that okay and you you know and, and then you had a bunch of different families around there for, for each different herb. And then you had metal workers. You had, you know, all kinds of different things that it took to support the temple. So you had this, you know, community around the temple. Okay. So in 70 AD, this group of people around the temple, if you read in the leather scrolls of the Dead Sea, they talk about, you know, their bearings and stuff there in the Temple Mount and a couple other places. And then they, they take off. And they, you know, go up through the Levant and through Turkey and and end up in 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 France, okay. And then because of some prophecies in Daniel and whatnot, they're supposed to go back after a thousand years, and the Knights Templar go back, okay. And and there is talk about you know where did they they set in the you know the stables on the top of the Temple Mount, and then they went down through some caverns and pulled back some stuff and 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 brought it back, and and you know. Again, I, I think it's a. I mean, if if you look a lot at the you know, the formation of the Bible and blah 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 blah, there was there was a lot of shenanigans going on where you know the priest basically took over control, okay, and, and said, okay, you guys got to live this way and and be sure and give us your money too, give us your tithes, okay. And then the other thing that I, I, I've seen, you know, in looking at history, is you have a group of I call them priests and pirates, okay, because, you know, a priest, you know, in different society, you know, figured out, well, gosh, if I can make some smoke come out of that hole over there, these people will bring me food, you know, they'll even bring me their daughters and young sons, whatever, you know, and, and then you have, you know, so that developed into a method of controlling people for their benefits, okay. And then you have pirates, okay? Basically, if you're a sea-bearing culture, okay, and you pull up on some landlubbers, there's a good chance that your your knowledge is going to be much stronger than these landlubbers, okay? So, again, you then use your knowledge to control these people for your benefit, okay? So you have, you know, these priests and pirates, okay, that are basically using knowledge okay that to you know control people for their benefit
0: yeah yeah it's time after time you see that and even in new england the whole culture of seafaring was you know very strewn with pirates and you know they called them privateers but they were really just pirates working for some government you know and i even think that Skull and Bones probably was connected to that through the drug smuggling, right? I mean, the the pirates essentially became these corporations by sea, you know, the Dutch East India Company, the British East India Company, and through... Their knowledge of what opium could do, yeah, and alcohol too. You know, they would use, even pigs I've heard were used as a sort of warfare against native people. You know, you, you unleash pigs onto a certain territory where pigs have never really been before and they just wreak havoc, you know, destroying agriculture and, you know, bringing all sorts of parasites. So, yeah, it's definitely a part of history that we we get... A, a story tale, myth version of, you know, we are told pirates were just these sort of treasure hunters and treasure barriers, but it's much deeper than that. You know, these guys were you know, raping and pillaging just as much as the Vikings were.
1: Right. And, and then, you know, I mean, our, our history, you know, I mean, in 1492, sailing the ocean blue, you know, Columbus discovered America. Well, not really. I mean, you had, you know, you had Chinese, you had, you know, Africa, you, you, lots of people had discovered America, you know, before Columbus. Okay. But again, it, it's kind of this rollout of, of controlled history to, to again, to, you know, why did they tell these lies, you know, because they didn't know any better. Okay. Or is it to create a, you know, a false narrative that gives them control. So, it's it's a very interesting subject. Now, again, I just have to, you know, I mean, I remember the first time I went there to New Haven. There was a, I think, a Starbucks or something like that, right there on the corner of that Church and and High, and you could actually, you know, but they, they, had, there really wasn't a place where you could sit and watch. They they had they had their their merchandising stuff on this one side, so you couldn't just sit there and watch the tomb, mm. you know. But it, it's just so interesting how they get away, and they, you know, they continue to deny that they have Geronimo's skull. Okay, uh, they, okay, they, you know, they've even denied the story that that Prescott took it, even though there's quite a bit of written information that that, that talks directly about it. Right. And then, you know, there's there's talk that they have Pancho Villa's skull there too. And then, you know, as from from some of the break-ins. We know they they had a room that was, you know, a Nazi room. You know, it was tons tons of Nazi memorabilia and and stuff like that, which, why? Wow. they, They don't talk.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And when you go through fleshing out Skull and Bones, I mean, you've you've laid out pretty clearly the connections financially between the Nazi Party and Skull and Bones members, you know. And uh, yeah, I've heard Martin Van Buren's skull and even Oliver Cromwell's skull are in the tomb. So yeah, the list goes on and on. And when I was looking through some newspaper archives... I found a story about some Chicago businessmen who were out in the Southwest somewhere, and they came across an outlaw who was named the Apache Kid, just some outlaw whose real name was never used, but they called him the Apache Kid. And these Chicago businessmen, they circled his camp at sunrise and shot him and left him under a blanket, came back a few weeks later and... Mailed his skull and his femur bones to Yale University's Skull and Bones department. That's what the newspaper said, and they the way they phrased it, it was almost as if the guys thought they were doing some sort of great archaeological work by sending this skull off to Yale. You know, they thought they were going to give it to some professor. Little did they know it was going to their their hideout. At least maybe the newspaper reporter didn't know that. But yeah, it was it was kind of shocking to find that you know people would be. You know, killed like that for bounty, and then just sent away to to them of all people <laughs> but i i I wonder how connected they are to the Indian Wars because of things like that. you know, Yale University, from what I've found was a part of one of the first missionary schools, the Stockbridge Missionary School, where a lot of Indians were Christianized, as they say, and unfortunately, a lot of them didn't fare well because the Indian War kicked off and they were all made prisoners of war and not many of them survived the winter in their POW camp. But you know, obviously anyone who lives in New England knows that the natives are sparse. You know, there's a few reservations, a few casinos, but for the most part, this is colonized land and they did a pretty good job of scrubbing all the history and you know, there are megalithic stones here, things like wamp or the calendar stone chamber and, you know, all of these things that I've looked into that seem to show that the Native Americans that were living here were more advanced than we're told. And it seems like that propaganda was churned up by groups like Yale University painting them as just this noble savage that needed to be Christianized because they were just like, you know, the lost children of Babylon. And we were doing, they were doing some sort of Christian deed by removing them from the land. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, they had the belief and actually there's a Supreme Court decision that was based upon a papal bull Okay, that basically said that you know, if they ain't Christian, you can do what you want with them. You can kill them. You can do whatever. I mean, there was even in 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 Europe, in in some of the Germanic tribes, they would purposely not Christianize them so that they could kill them. Mm. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Life is, you know, and one thing that you know, I I truly think that you know their power has gone down because. For, for for one thing, their ability to keep secrets is not is not as strong as it was. Okay. And so I, I don't know, I just I feel very very good about the future. I, I think that good things are gonna happen. And you know, I'm I'm am I'm a strong believer in a in a democratic republic, you know, and where where people vote and I, I truly implore people to, you know, get involved with your political system, okay? Vote when when vote's happening. If you can get involved locally with, with, with politics, you know, do it, because a lot of people don't, okay? And if a lot of people don't, that just leaves, you know, some people who will and who show up, and we can't be sure that everybody that just shows up is, is a good person. You know, so I strongly recommend people to to get involved with with local events and with 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 politics and and to and vote. You know, I mean, there was a, you know, our ancestors, you know, lived under kings that basically says, well, you know, you've got to live here, you can't move, you got to stay right there, and all kinds of other silly that people had to follow. And you know, we we should celebrate our liberty and freedom and not forget where it comes from.
0: Well said. Yeah, absolutely. And even more so in a place like New Haven where, you know, five blocks away from Yale, you have some of the most impoverished communities in America, you know, places where crime is at an all time high and has been for several decades. So yeah, I I hope what we're doing and what you've done inspires people locally in my area to really question Yale. I mean, it's hard to with 42 billion dollars, you know, they they are quite a juggernaut and and have a, quite a uh, influence over the local government, but still it's 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 about time somebody, you know, really does something about this. I think the students, you know, with all their social justice, you know, if they were only aware of what institution they're getting their education from, they might really be shocked at how hypocritical they are calling out everyone but their own uh, their own, you know, sort of domains. So, yeah, I think there, there are some changes that need to come, and Yale has certainly changed, but I don't know if you've seen the news. David Geffen, of all people, bought the Yale School of Drama recently. So, yeah, I don't know if that says anything good about what's to come from Yale. Uh, David's not exactly an upstanding Hollywood citizen.
1: Right. Well, you know, in looking at this for many, many years, I, I distilled... Um, you know, how the secret societies, how they, you know, like to control the world. And it's a, it's a Leviathan of three levels and each level has three parts. The top part is mining, metal, and money. And you know, when you think about it and gosh, it kind of makes sense. If you control the mining, where the metal comes from, that the money's supposed to be based on, you know, you're in a pretty good position. And, you know, I had a guy that, you know, they could affect that level with a book and, and if you, came at me as his first book and it was very thick and all about gold mining and stuff. And I says, gosh, I don't know much about gold mining and different things. And finally he got it printed in, in Poland or something like that. And then he came at me with another book and I, I put him off for a while and finally says, okay, let's do it. And we got it out. And, and he was, he was a mining engineer and he, he, he was dead in seven days. You know, he got hit run by a hit and row and in, in London. And this wasn't an unsubstantial guy. His lawyer was was Bill Pepper. And it's very shocking. And then and then the, the, the mid level is, is is drugs, guns and oil. Okay. And this is a very active level where they use war and stuff like that. And and you know, it creates all the money and, and whatnot. And you know, speaking of Connecticut, you know, it used to be on, on the license plate in Connecticut said like America's defense or something like that because you know most of the d- defensive corporations, you know, GE is based in Connecticut, you know, the uh, submarines started there and I believe it was Groton. And then you have the helicopters that started there in, in 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 Connecticut. And you know and and actually, you know, your picture there where you have going right up high street there and you go through the you continue that straight line. And, and you end up with the uh, factory that built all the browning automatic rifles right. for World War Two. okay again, you go back to the to, to the death magic. You, you create this 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 death from this death you get you get you get power, okay. And, and then I already talked about oil and, and then oil also includes the, the pharmaceuticals. And then where this meets the road is media because you know they, they've got to control the media. You know, they tried to put me out of business so many times, it's not funny. And then you have music slash movies, because they've got to control the culture, okay, or it'll bite them, okay? And then you have, quote-unquote, magic, okay? The ability to hoodwink us, make us think something else is going on, and then their preponderance on using mass trauma rituals to keep us in line the kennedy assassination at its core is a mass trauma ritual 911 at its core is a mass trauma ritual okay so it you know they've done nefarious things and it shouldn't be allowed
0: yeah that's a uh, that's a statement I agree with for sure. Yeah, it's it's definitely shocking to to think about it, you know, the way that they wrapped things up, but I I think the hoodwinking is is a big a bigger part of it than uh maybe people realize and and possibly one of the byproducts of listening to something like this or finding a book published by trine day is that you're able to re, you know resist that hoodwinking in the future or, or be maybe immune to it because you've seen better you know you you know better now so yeah I, I again we all owe you a great gra- a great debt of gratitude for for the work you've done chris seriously and all the amazing books you've helped make it to print through trine day wrapping up here what do you think is on the horizon for 2023 here, I mean, you, you have a show, Trying Day. You're talking to a, a lot of different authors, you and Bruce there. Any thoughts on what's to come? I mean, people are thinking we're heading towards World War III, but they've been, you know, saying this for a while. So I don't know. What do you think? Right. Well,
1: I, again, I, I'm just, I, I'm very hopeful for the future. I, I really see, you know, things have changed. Okay, quite a bit, there. and there's there's much more un- understanding out there of what we're dealing with. So that's one reason why you know they keep floating all these conspiracy theories, so that you know people will grab one thing and then you know just you know f- fight each other on on all these different things. And so I, I you know I've got some very very good books coming out. We we just you know released Whitney Webb's One Nation Under Blackmail a very good deep dive into the honey traps and and you know the things that these people are using to control and, and what they're looking to do basically be able to control people by hacking into their uh, smartphone because you know you hack into somebody's smartphone you probably have a pretty good idea what that person thinks and what he likes to do and blah blah blah, blah. and then i've got a, another book coming out about bio warfare and and the story on bio warfare is very unknown okay because it's not supposed to be happening but it, it goes into a very deep dive and shows um you know more what's going on than than what what people think i've got another book coming out called follow the money about about china and it's very very interesting and i've got you know and then i i'm, I'm doing some books by by some native american folks and i've got one called sacred buffalo calf woman because I, I truly think that, you know, there is salvation in this world. And I think that, you know, we just, you know, we need to face our our perfidy our, our and I think we can beat it. You know, I, like I say, I mean, it's basically we've had people that have been using secrecy to lie, cheat, and steal. Okay. And then to use that secrecy to try and control us. Well. You know, we're busting through that secrecy. We're talking about it. People are having discussions, not just you and me. But there's, I mean, how many podcasts are there out there? There's tons of podcasts. There's tons of people looking, looking at different things. Okay, and you know, one thing I find is, you know, I mean, I'm very lucky. Okay, my daddy told me some stuff I didn't understand. Okay, many, many years ago, and I had the, I had the good ability. I mean, it's... It, it, Years and years of, of of thinking about it and reading books and looking into it and, and, and different things. Now people are, you know, they're confronted with this stuff and you know, they have to, you know, they have a much smaller amount of time to, to go through and, and and digest this and say, well, what does it mean? You know, because I mean you can't just, you know, you just don't understand it right away. It takes a while to, to understand the perfidy. It takes a while to okay, well, okay, so what what does that mean and then and then you know you think and I found that you know people that had kids were more going to the next step okay, so what do we do about it okay and so then you know so you have a bunch of different steps here and, and the other thing I find is that you know you get newbies into quote unquote conspiracy theory land and you know if they become convinced that well, this one thing that I thought was just a you know, BS conspiracy theory is actually true, then that must mean that all these other things that they've been saying are true. Well, that, you know, that's not how it is. Okay. But, but that's, that's the dynamic that, that, you know, just people take, I mean, I, myself, you know, because it it just, you know, it, it, it takes time to understand, you know, the, the, the nuances of, of the conspiracy and so it, 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 it takes time to understand, but I really see that, that that's happening, okay, with the, what you had, uh, uh, Generation X, okay, and then you had the, what, the Millennials and the Generation, I don't know, but you had these three generations, okay, we're, we're finally getting into Generation Alpha, okay, which is the next series of, of idealist group, okay, and, you know, we have some very... Radical people in the in these younger generations. OK, I mean, they're very strident about what they want. OK, because if they hadn't have been so strident, OK, um Mr. Trump probably would have won. OK, but, you know, and, and I mean, look at that last election. I mean, you know, you had inflation up to here. You had, you know, all the oil companies, the, the price of gas and blah, 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 you know, making it the very worst scenario. You know, for you know, Biden in in that in that election, okay, but still, people showed up, and we didn't go down that other road, okay. And I think we're going forward, and so I mean, that's 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 all we can do is to, you know is try and go forward, move you know, move humanity better, move you know, move it so that you know, people get taken care of. There's you know, there's 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 no reason. For you know, all the disparity. Well, there is a reason for the disparity because you know you've got people. You know, the 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 economic system, the basic way that it you know it's been it's been. These people have led it down that road, but I, I truly think that you know the basic ideals of America. We've got you know a republic on paper, and I truly think that. If we get enough good people in DC we'll get a better thing another way how they've controlled it is you know there's only 535 people in DC right you know and there's been 535 people there for quite a while even though the population has just ballooned okay and we have that many people there because well that's the size of the building well that's kind of silly and and if you look at the you know the you know they call them well, the first 10 amendments there was actually 12. OK, and, and some of them didn't get adopted. And one of those 12 was that there should be one representative for every 30,000 people. OK, and, you know, just think how our governance would be, because first off, there'd be like 1,200 people or more in D.C. OK, so you, you couldn't blackmail and control all those different people. OK, and we'd have a chance of having, you know, actual, you know, progress. So, you know, I'm just, I'm very hopeful because, you know, we're having this discussion, okay? This discussion is, you know, can be viewed by anybody. And just like, you know, books, I I, one thing I like about books is, you know, they just lie there. You're just, you know, but, but, you know, people can pick them up and read. And, you know, as we know, books change people's lives. So I, I think that, you know, all of us together can change our children's life for the better.
0: Beautiful. Beautiful. And I I love that you you mentioned that amendment. I think we ought to bring that back. Yeah, that would make it a whole lot harder for these uh, interest groups to come in and and take control. And yeah, I, I didn't realize the very industrial complex connecticut was i mean the way you put it all a helicopter submarines rifles you're absolutely right and we are they they do call it gun wave in new haven in certain neighborhoods so yeah there there's certainly death going on here and it's a real shame because the word connecticut it, it means great river you know and and this great river of death has flooded and put into the rest of America and we need to damn it. <laughs> you know, that's what I think. But anyways, Chris, this has been really wonderful. It's always a pleasure talking to you. It's been long overdue. I hope we can get together soon and continue this conversation about skull and bones. But until next time, folks, you know where to go, go to Trine day. Trine day has all the books from Whitney Webb to John Kleizek, who we had on the show recently, and so many other great authors that you've heard on, on the, ton of different podcasts, and Chris has his own podcast by the same name, Trine Day. No, it's The Journey. The Journey, exactly. Yes, and, yes uh,
1: we, and We've got a new one coming out, episode called the... I've got James Norman, Nick Bryant, and Daniel Hopsicker, and Whitney's top researcher all, all together on that one. It's coming out this week or next week.
0: That's a book or a podcast?
1: That's a podcast. Oh, wonderful. A, yeah. yeah. It, it's I, I've been... It's a dream of mine to get a bunch of my authors together and have them talk, you know, because we learn things from discussion.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I look forward to that. Well, I will make sure all of those are linked in the description so folks can go and support, subscribe, and follow Trine Day. Until next time, folks, immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. podcast series I've started dealing specifically with our topic today, Skull & Bones, and how they fit into the esoteric history of America, specifically New Haven, Connecticut. If you'd like to hear the first episode, it is available now on Patreon and Substack. The links are in the description. I will be releasing the first season on Patreon and Substack. Sign up today to get access to the first episode and exclusive content associated with the series Strange New Haven in the Order of Skull and Bones. All right, and that is our episode with returning guest Chris Milligan. He joined me uh, way back when, one of the original uh, guests on the show, I think it was episode 18. And yeah, wow that that is something that I it's like a through line for this podcast because uh, well I live so close to this whole weirdness that it's just I've brushed up against it just being a curious person you know I'm not trying to put a stop to it I think most people uh, are already kind of aware of it, but, uh, if people could know the length and width of it and maybe understand how deep this really goes, maybe, uh, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe people's families wouldn't think they're so crazy. I don't, I don't really have a silver lining it would be nice for Geronimo's skull to be returned, but I don't you know I don't have any hopes of uh, defeating a forty two billion dollar university. I mean, that's just crazy. So, but you know, if if this kind of information can spread a little bit and people will be uh, aware of it, maybe that'll inspire a new generation of young people to uh, say nay when they're tapped. In these Ivy League schools, but I think as long as these Ivy League schools exist, uh, there's going to be a certain social hierarchy in society. And uh, yeah, it's it's really well, it's shitty, you know. I mean, I don't know where my audience stands, but I'm just above the poverty line with this podcast, kind of going uh, out on a limb trying to do this thing full time, mostly because. I'm stubborn enough to believe that I should get paid for th- <laughs> this type of uh, lifestyle of you know, thinking and spreading ideas and uh, writing about them and producing a podcast that helps lift people up. I mean, there are others who have done it before me, others who do it better even. Uh, but I'm happy to be a part of this sort of alternative world that we're in here with these podcasts and all the amazing people that support us here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Shout out to all the folks who have recently signed up on the Patreon and on the Substack. Uh, Rockfin, of course, we've been getting a couple tips on Rockfin. Shout out to everybody who's been tipping on Rockfin. We appreciate that. You can support the show there. You can also support the show on Ko-Fi. I've been selling some of my artwork I, I make my own wire wraps with crystals and copper and they're really neat and unique and a uh, very personal way to support the show because I don't make cookie cutter jewelry so uh, you'll never you know see anyone else out there with anything like what I've got so Go and check it out. If you like the show, you might like my jewelry as well. I've been making it for a while. I stopped making it for a while and started making it again. Once I found this beautiful community of amazing people that I podcast with and all the great people who tune into the show and communicate with me variously through Telegram, Instagram, the Grams, Twitter sometimes. Um, But I do prefer people... Support and then get in touch with me because we have a very special telegram community for people who are on the Patreon, Substack, or Rockfin. So if you're over there, just send me a message, let me know, and I will send you the link to the private telegram group, or just join the normal telegram and get in touch with me there. You can send me an email. My email is available on the website, myfamilythinksymcrazy.com. Go and check it out. And that's about it for today's episode. Chris Milligan, of course, can be found at trineday.com. The link is in the description. And as I've been talking about over the series of a bunch of episodes and interviews that I've done, I am producing a podcast documentary series about New Haven. And it is available today, uh, Wednesday, March 22nd on Facebook. Patreon. The first episode is available. It will be available tonight. You have to sign up on Patreon or Substack to tune in, and it will be um, the first, I think, eight episodes, seven or eight episodes will be only available at first on Patreon and Substack. So if you want to hear uh, what I've come up with, this research, what it's amounted to, uh, it'll be a fun audio journey similar to, well, I don't want to say what it's going to be similar to, because it really won't be similar to anything, but I'll say it's, it's inspired by shows like Penny Royal, right? Where they deal with the same sort of subjects that we do here on this show, but in a, in a narrative kind of way. That's my goal is to sort of see how I do with that. And, uh, you know, accomplishing this will, uh, mean that, Implicitly, I'll need your support. So, sign up on the Patreon, the Substack, to check that new Skull and Bones series out. Big shout out to our sponsor, The Hit Kit. Go to hitkit.us to check out the awesome product that keeps your lighter, your blunts, your joints safe and sound. You could also follow them on uh, Instagram at The Hit Kit. So, gotta give a shout out to my man Garrett he sent me a dank bank recently which is like a super size hit kit that you can only open if you know the secret special maneuver so uh, needless to say if you have kids in the house this could be a good way to stash your pot you know you lock it away in this dank bank even if they find it uh, they're probably not gonna figure out how to open it Uh, so anyways enough about that Thanks for tuning in, folks. Please do sign up and support the new show on Patreon and Substack. You will find it there, the new series. Uh, Why have I not said the name of it yet? Well, because I'm recording this a week in advance, and it's not totally finished yet. So (laughs) enjoy. Enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now.
2: Access pull of professionals, but I confess too much off of the tongue. All my aunties and my uncles shield the ears of the young. Hobby singing shit and they don't know where it's coming from. And like a hundred years, we went Zarba with guns. Check the facts, check the Fed, check the stars. Standy Mines was murked for a water fuel cell car. They each stay on, you can stick with your own ways. But eat the rich and drink the motherfucking Kool Aid. And I can see the red on your lip stain. White skin, blue collops, you American made. Fuck it. You can keep your blood soaked heritage and run the soul off the moon landed narrative. Yeah, my girl thinks that I'm embarrassing. My folks think I'm nuts, but never question the parenting. Stuck in bed, so my boss thinks I'm lazy. Connecting dots, but it's all kinda hazy. Come on, in the net, feeling like I'm Dick Tracy. My pack thinks I'm un-American and shady. I'm feeling unhinged, baby. Encounters of the fifth time on the daily. You could tell me that the president's an navy and it wouldn't faze me. My family thinks I'm crazy. Baby, baby, baby. My family thinks I'm crazy. Baby, baby, baby. You might think that I'm off in the... One too many Netflix docs on the weekends But check the budget for our military defense Tell me we ain't scared of something not within reason Steel beams, another 1492 And 9-11 was the red, white, and blue And you be lit off the floor, I ain't got a clue All your dreams just shit on the Rockefeller shoes Don't believe a damn thing a politician ever said Ain't one brick left to go up in the Fed They still got bricks of cocaine to make crap Oxy's killing the working class, FDA's whack. Talking like this, got kids talking behind backs Too much to unpack, so they talk smack And I'm just trying to converse with my clan But it ain't fan. so I'm here setting up can Stuck in bed, so my boss thinks I'm lazy Connecting dots, but it's all kind of hazy I'm in the internet feeling like I'm Dick Tracy My pack thinks I'm un-American and shady Yeah, I'm feeling unhinged lately Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily You could tell me that the president's an alien It wouldn't phase me my family thinks I'm crazy. Baby, baby, baby. My family thinks I'm crazy. Maybe, maybe, baby. Just maybe. Stuck in bed, so my boss thinks baby. I'm lazy. And if that's what it's all kind of crazy. I'm only baby, that, feeling like I'm with Tracy. My dad thinks I'm under marriage baby, and it's shady. Baby, I'm baby, feeling baby, unhinged baby. lately. I'm so crazy. So crazy Yeah I think one thing I've learned is You can't rule anything out So, you yeah. know